Good morning. I'm told that hard texts make soft hearts, and that's what I am really praying today. Because as for difficult texts, you don't get much more difficult than this one. In case you're using the Pew Bibles and you were unable to find it, you're on, we're on page 729 of the Pew Bibles in Micah chapter 3, 1 to chapter 4, verse 5. I'm going to have to admit, first of all, before I begin, I am running on fumes right now. So uh, some of the things I may say may not, in fact, be coherent. So if, if that happens, I, I apologize in advance. And I think that's interesting when it comes to this text that I am kind of this out of it because I'm not as able to protect myself and my uh, heart from what the text actually says. And it, it, it's interesting when you're reading the Bible. Sometimes you read the Bible and it feels kind of surfacey, you know, it's just a thing you do. It's something that you just check mark. And then sometimes you read parts of the Bible and texts of the Bible and you go, oh my goodness, that's, that's pretty horrible. And then you read a word or a phrase or two and it just strikes you. Like just, bam. That, happens to, that happened to me in Micah chapter 3 this week. Actually last week because I was originally going to preach last Sunday and Anyway, things, things change as, as things do. I think what we need to understand before we start into Micah chapter 3 and, ver- and chapter 4, because I'm going to go a little bit into chapter 4. Sometimes the way we perceive things isn't the truth. Uh, it's a common trope in movies. I don't know if you watch too many movies. I have a movie night on Friday night, as many people have heard about over the last couple of days. Um, and I watch a lot of films. There's a bunch of movies where there's this, this kind of trope where there's reality, and you think that everything, you understand everything that's going on, and you think you understand what's happening, and you think that everything is fine, and then as the movie progresses, you find out that nothing is as you thought it was. I mean, think of movies like The Matrix, uh, The Truman Show, uh, all sorts of films do this kind of thing. Uh, they, they, they put a twist on it that makes you understand that the way that things looked aren't the way things are. The Bible has stories like that. That's called prophets. That's what they are. They're stories to tell us maybe things aren't quite the way you've been interpreting them to be. And that's kind of interesting and kind of important because, don't know how to say it nicely, so I'll just put it out and say it. Our hearts are fickle. We have things that we think are good, that we think are noble and think are applaudable or laudable. We, We have them individually, we have them as communities. We have them as cultures and societies, and they change over time. The things that my parents and my grandparents would have thought were noble, well, some of them we love still, some of them we don't. 
And the question that we have to ask ourselves as believers and as people who have to live through times like the ones we're living through right now is, how the heck do we know what goodness really is and what badness really is? How do we know the difference between what is really good and, and you know, really acceptable and the things that aren't really acceptable because the fact is we as a society and as a culture and people around us, we put things together and we, we, we essentially disciple one another into the things that we think and the things that we understand. It's what we see positively functioning in passages like Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 to 16. On, uh, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking in the truth of love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It can be useful to be living in community. It can be beneficial and it can be beautiful. It helps us to understand things and to be strengthened in what the truth is. That's why, by the way, you're seeing some guy stand up in front of you on Sunday morning and speak for about half an hour or so. If you're lucky, I usually go about 40, 45, but usually about half an hour to tell you about what the Bible says. It's so that we as a people can be shaped into what the word of God says is true. It's why we live in communities and why we have fellowship one with another, why it's important that we hang out with one another from time to time and have friendships and uh, honestly develop families and develop friendships of those families so that we can be shaped by what the truth of the gospel is. It's why I actually do do movie nights on Friday nights and why other people do games nights on Thursday nights and why there are gospel community groups around and why there are people who just go to each other's houses and hang out with one another. It's because community can be positive. Unfortunately, as with everything good, it can be used for evil too. That is what we see in Micah chapter 3. So as John began with, let's buckle up. Because Micah chapter 3 starts with a very extreme set of phrases. It starts like this, and I hear, and I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. That's pretty harsh. Now, I'm going to tell you something here. This is prob probably figurative phrasing. Usually, 
I mean, in most cultures that we've had anywhere in the world, if this kind of thing were happening generally in the streets, people would get mad. Usually, you know, flaying skin off people is not socially acceptable. Not in any society that I know of. If you, could, if you have another society, let me know so I can avoid that society like the plague. But that's not something that generally people do. So the phrase we're, phraseology here we're seeing is probably figurative. Now I say that with some trepidation because when I say figurative, lots of people have this idea, oh, whew, then it's not really that bad. It's not really that big a deal. Let me re reiterate what figurative language does. Figurative language is language that's used when the literal stuff doesn't get you to the point that you need to get to. So yes, it's figurative because this is a light, small, tiny reflection of how horrible God sees what the people of Israel in Micah chapter three are doing. It is figurative. It's much worse than this. We'll explain, we'll understand a little bit why it's worse than this in a few minutes. But this is kind of similar to what you see in Proverbs 30, 14, where uh, the writer of Proverbs would say, something, say this, there are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. The idea here is that the people of Israel are doing something or other that causes the utter destruction of the people God loves. It is profoundly evil what they are doing. And the difficulty we're going to find when it comes to this profound evil that the people of Israel are doing is that when I understood what it says and what it's talking about, when it talks about this profound evil that the leaders of Israel are doing, I, I thought it wasn't that bad, which is exactly why Micah is written to me. It's meant to let me know that my understanding of the universe is a little off. That I need to be recalibrated. You see, the problem of what they're doing can be seen if you flip down a couple of verses to verse 9 to 11. It says this, Hear this, you heads of, Jacob, of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Why? Its heads give justice, judgment for a bribe. I can't say justice because they don't give justice. They give judgments for a bribe. Its priests teach for, its, for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So 
situation that they're doing is what we would standardly call corruption. By the way, that is a very useful way of thinking about it, corruption. Because I've already read a verse, the, the one verse that actually caused me the most consternation. I'll get back to it in a moment. But the word corruption is what we're talking about here. They are using their role as leaders of the people, as leaders who are supposed to help the people of Israel love one another, who are supposed to help the people of Israel to take care of the poor and the downtrodden, to plead the case of the widow and the orphan, to be, to be salt and light, a, a foretaste of God's kingdom on earth. And instead of doing that, well, they give judgment for a bribe. When it says that the priests teach for a price, that doesn't just mean they get paid to, pre to teach. It's not bad to get paid to teach. I know many people in this congregation are professors or teachers of some form. It's not bad to take a paycheck because you teach. In fact, it's not even bad if you're a pastor to take a paycheck if you, if you preach. I, 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 I am still going to take my paycheck next month. Just saying, guys. What the problem is, is that they've understood that there's a way they can preach that will get them more money. They will, as it says in another part of the text, they can get, benefit, they can get fed by someone. They'll, they'll praise the person who feeds them. But when it comes to people who don't feed them, they'll attack them. They will teach things so that people will like them. You know, in Timothy, when it says in the latter days, there will come teachers who will, who will teach, people will have itching ears and they'll accrue teachers to themselves. They will teach them whatever they want to hear. That's what they're doing. And they, they realize that, you know, if I preach the wrong things, I'm going to get, you know, in trouble and some people are going to get mad at me. As I'm sure some people are going to get mad at me today because I actually preached from Micah chapter 3 with flaying bones and stuff. Or you could just preach the stuff that everybody finds nice, the stuff that we find beneficial. And that's the problem. The prophets practice divination for money, and yet they lean on the Lord and say, that, that's the really horrible part. They do this terrible stuff to the people around them, to the people who look to them for guidance and for leadership and knowledge, and <laughs> They imagine that God is protecting them. The God of justice and of righteousness and of holiness. And they imagine that the God of justice and righteousness and holiness is going to protect them while they use people for their own benefit. I said the word corruption is really important for this. Because and I've got this as my... Uh, my heading for this section. I'm not putting it on the screen or anything. But the point is that because corruption, what does corruption do? Well, it corrupts. I'm never going to really say very often that postmodern people are correct on lots of stuff. There are some things that postmoderns are actually quite correct on. 
We as a community, and communities generally, tend to define what is plausible to believe based on the community that we live in. That's where postmodernism is correct. They would say that we define truth based on the communities we live in. But I would say it's our plausibilities, the things that we're willing to believe, the things that we find acceptable, the socially acceptable, the things that we call common sense. Common sense isn't a standard, every, same thing everywhere. Just try living in a different country for a while. Uh, I, made the, uh, I, I had the wonderful history of living for seven years in Eastern Asia. Um, to be blunt about it, Koreans don't think exactly like Canadians. In fact, I'm going to be honest here, most Canadians don't think exactly like Newfoundlanders. We've got different cultures going everywhere. And there are things that we think make perfect sense that are just naturally assumed things that make sense everywhere that don't make sense in other cultures. And we imagine that the things that we believe are just common sense are common sense everywhere, and it's just not true. It's also not true over history. People imagine that, you know, back in the 14th century, people thought pretty much like us. Kind of. There were similarities. There are also very big differences because we have these things that we as a culture generally accept one another. But if you mix that with the corruption I'm talking about, what do you think happens? We... We as a society like to have these phrases about what we say is acceptable. We'll say uh, it's, it's fine as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Do whatever you want as long as you don't harm anyone else. That doesn't exist. We live in communities. We just do. Whether or not we want to believe it, we actually talk to other people and we are affected by other people. And unfortunately, the people of Israel were affected by their leaders. What, you, what they were doing, what they were doing through their corruption, corrupted the society they lived in. It changed things. It changed what was accepted as plausible, what people believed. And interestingly enough, if the section there where, you know, the no disaster shall come on us is true, it actually perverted the way they saw God. So yeah, God's a little mad. But here's the problem. It's worse than that. What gave me pause and what caused me the most stare at the ceiling, sleepless nights over the last couple of weeks, is this little phrase in Micah chapter 3, verse 2. And it's just the first little phrase there. It's not the snazzy stuff. It's the, you who hate the good and love the evil. Now, if you've talked to me before, I'll, I'll say this generally speaking. Generally speaking, most people don't, aren't trying to be nefarious. There aren't a lot of people out there who are seeking to be villains. There's, you know, I've seen people with snazzy mustaches you could twirl as they come plot evil. 
but usually they're not actually evil people either. They just have bad taste in, in facial hair. <laughs> but what this text says is that there's a way you can end up where you end up loving evil things and hating good things. And so that caused me to do a little bit of thinking. It continues, I mean, in, in, verse th in chapter three, verse nine, it says, uh, hear you the heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice. It's not just that they oppose justice or don't think justice is a good thing, they detest it. How do you end up there? How do you end up in a position where you actually hate good things and you love evil things? Because apparently scripture is telling us it can happen. This, by the way, if you're, if you're interested in going down a rabbit hole of horrible things, um, do some history. The Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, I worry maybe sometimes us. It's actually possible to step by step end up in a place where you are evil and you love evil and you so detest the good that you'll oppose it actively. We see this, in, uh, that, that's actually what you see as a, uh, happening in Romans chapter one and it, it, it ends in verses 29 to 32 of Romans 1, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, it's possible in your culture and in your circle of friends and in your families and stuff to actually get to a point where things that are evil seem good. And as things that are evil seem good, you begin to embrace them more. And as you embrace them more, you love them more. And as you love them more, you embrace them more. And it keeps going. Until before long, you end up doing and saying and believing things you never thought possible. Postmodernism, like I said, is correct when they say this. Thing evil becomes plausible. And unlike the time of Israel, we actually have more danger of this. We live in the most aggressively individualistic society, probably conceivable. Seriously, we found this out during COVID, right? Uh, I loved it, I'm, I'm very introverted. I really like the fact that, you know, I got put in a house uh, and, you know, I, was, I live alone and I have a computer so I can order my food and I don't have to actually see anybody. 
I can uh, have my internet and my things all fixed. I actually paid somebody to mow my lawn so I didn't actually have to go outside and see anybody when I'm mowing my lawn or shoveling my driveway because I paid somebody else to do that too. So just stayed in my house and sent the money off to them. I can call DoorDash if I want to eat out and just have it brought to my door and I'll take it in. And the whole time I can be watching all sorts of people who will all agree with me. It's the funniest thing. If you go on YouTube and the algorithms on YouTube and on uh, Facebook do this for you, you don't even have to try. They'll notice that you really like these videos that say this thing, so they'll give you more videos of like that who say this thing. And let's face it, there's so many videos on YouTube, you will never watch them all. And so you can keep choosing the people who agree with you. And the danger of that is, it has never been more easy to do the stupid thing that our society tells you is the greatest and highest good. You can follow your heart as far as you want to. Um, and, and, and I'm not actually understating that, by the way. It, it is among the dumbest things you can do to follow your heart wherever it leads. Allow me to remind you what God says about our hearts. Jeremiah 17:9. the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if you have a heart that's desperately sick and wicked and you're told to follow it, and as I just told you, you have every ability to be able to follow it as far as you're wanting to. <laughs> we can end up in a very dark place very, very quickly. And you see this at, the, at work in the world, don't you? People will talk about how the world is so polarized between right and left and up and down and woke and not woke and whatever things you want to say. And it's not like I don't have opinions on all those things, but let's face it, we can very easily just follow one of those things and filter out anything that could cause what, uh, what you know, people smarter than me call cognitive dissonance filter out all of the things that could possibly cause me to go, hang on a tick, am I right? Like those things where, you know, you, you, you actually meet your neighbor who, you know, actually kind of agrees with the, the, the woke people or with the Trump people or with the whatever people you really, really dislike and you have to deal with them and talk to them and, and, and actually, you know, they might actually be nice people usually and so yeah, you have to deal with whether or not you're whether or not your assumptions were right. But we can filter all that out now. I mean, let's face it, if I live alone and I have my own house and I have things ordered in all the time and I just watch videos that YouTube gets me and I, I find it very easy to end up in that space. So it's going to be very easy for us as a people to end up like the leaders of Israel. And we've got less... We've got less excuse than they do because, you know, do you know how to change that? Just look to hear people who disagree with you. It's that simple. Or more importantly, open your Bible and read it. 
Because you see, that's the problem that they had. I, I use the term plausible when I talk, to, talk about uh, postmodernism because postmodernism actually says something a little different. They will say that truth is determined by your community. That's similarly nuts because truth is reality. If somebody says something to you like, uh, well, that's your truth and this is my truth, laugh hard because that's nuts. And, and I don't mean that from a plausibility. I mean that from our worldview and from what I think is the truth, truth is what accords to reality. Now, I can be right and I can be wrong, but truth is truth. I can be wrong because something I believe may not accord with reality. That means I'm wrong. It doesn't mean I have an alternate truth. It means I'm wrong. If I think that the, I apologize for doing this to people who may actually believe this, but if I believe that the world is flat, I'm wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. Would be nice if it was a matter of opinion. I'd love to be able to throw people off the edge of the, of the earth, but <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> I told you I, some, I, I, I had to get pause on the love evil thing. I may actually be there already in some ways. And you see, this is why My, Micah ends up with the thing that, giving the judgment that he does. You see, the thing is, from the Christian perspective, which I think is true, I don't think that the Christian perspective is an opinion. I think it's true. That's why I believe it. I'm a Christian because I believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that God really did create the, the world in the way that he did. And I think I'm right. And I think if you disagree, I think you're wrong. But we can talk about that because now, now, now neither of us is claiming that, you know, we have this kind of, we don't have a common ground. We have a common ground. It's called God. God is the common ground. And I apologize, I used it for God. That's not, that's not true. God's pronoun is he. So, he is the truth. And we can talk about that. And so, God has an opinion. His opinion is the truth. And he is reality. Regardless of what I convince myself of, regardless of what we as a culture convince ourselves of, regardless of what the people of Israel in Micah's time convinced themselves of, there is a truth and that truth will impinge on their lives. Because that's what truth does. As much as we would love to live in alternate realities, which means not realities, there is only one reality. And it will impinge itself on us. We will either accept it or we won't. And if we don't accept it, well, no offense, reality is bigger than you, it's going to win. God is reality and he is going to win. And he's good. So that means something bad for people who love evil and hate the good. Micah 3, 4 to 8. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. By the way, that's not really judgment in a negative sense. That's actually that God saying, watch it. You're going the wrong way. 
If you stop hearing from God, if you, if you try to imagine that you don't know what God is doing in your, in your world, that means you're going the wrong way. Do you know how, how you find out what God, God wants to do in the world? It's a nice book. You should read it. Because God actually does speak. He has spoken through his word. You, we hand out copies of it for free. If you want to know what God is saying, you just look into his word. And if you feel that you're not hearing God, well, open your Bible and check it out. It might be that you found yourself doing something wrong. You know, one of those situations, this is one of the things that you can do. Even Christians can do this. We can read our Bibles and say, oh, well, <laughs> Micah 3.1, is that, that's pretty harsh. I agree, by the way, it is pretty harsh. So let's just skip that part. Don't do that. Because God actually wrote that for a reason and he intends you to hear it. And it's not a bad reason. He does intend, he loves you. He wants you to know the truth. And so when, you see, when, you tr when you're going the wrong direction, you may find God, you know, saying, okay, well, I'm going to stop leading you so that you'll know that you're going the wrong, you're going the wrong way. But thus says the Lord, concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you, without vision and darkness to you, without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. But they shall cover their lips, for there is no answer from them, from God." But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. God, by, the, by his graciousness and mercy to the people of Israel, gave them a voice that would be able to correct them. Somebody stood up and said, guys, there is a truth. Let's look to it. Let's believe it. That's what Micah is doing. Because this... The end hasn't come yet for Micah's people. It's coming. But the warning is here. They can see it. God first gives signs that we're going the wrong way. You know, your churches begin to empty out and people stop showing up. And before long, people start believing weird stuff and calling it Christian. Those are warnings. And those are warnings that we should really take because fighting God means we're fighting reality. And um, fighting reality actually is the definition of delusional. Like if, if you honestly oppose reality, that's what it means to be delusional. Just the way it is. And eventually, when God reaches his time, eventually reality will assert itself completely. There will come a day when God will say, enough, and it will be. Remember the passage, is not the Lord in the midst of us, no disaster shall come upon us. It finishes. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. 
You see, in the end, corruption destroys. If we will oppose reality, eventually reality will completely assert itself, but eventually God will assert himself and everything opposed to him will be destroyed. Evil does not win, period. It looks like it sometimes. We may believe it, it works. We may believe that we can trick God and, di and disobey him. We believe that we can possibly not love our neighbors as ourselves and it'll be okay. It won't be. That's the point here. But that is not, and it doesn't matter by the way if we pay lip service to God. Coming to church on Sunday is good if you do it for the reason to get to know God. But if we're just here for religious reasonings and to be able to say that, you know, so, to be able to show ourselves off to the people next to us and say that we're, we're good believers, that's not very valuable when it comes to the ultimate thing that we need to be, which is godly. See, the end result of following God is to be godly people, not to be good Christians. In the sense, and I, I use, you should be a good Christian. You shouldn't be the good Christians in the sense that people want to be. It doesn't matter if you say, oh, well, Jesus will, is not God among us. He will, no disaster will befall us. If, the, if you are opposing God, disaster will befall you because you're opposing God. But that isn't the end of the story. And that's why I actually continued into chapter four. And if you read chapter four, you probably got whiplash as you heard John read it. Because it says at the end of three, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And then immediately it says in 4.1, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, you know the wooded height that I said a second ago, shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and the peoples shall flow into it. There's a new Jerusalem coming. There's a new kingdom coming and God will be building it. And what's the difference between this new kingdom and the old kingdom? Well, look at verses two to five. Many nations shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may know his paths. I don't really want to focus on what they're trying to do. I want to focus on the fact that they're saying that. Do you know who says stuff like that? People who want to know God. That's what people who want to know God say. They look to the mountain of the Lord. They open their Bibles and they read it. They seek after God that God might teach them and that they might be changed. They desire God above all else. Instead of what the people of, the leaders of Israel desired, which was namely their own benefit and their own blessing and their own power, instead they desired to know God and to know his ways. He shall judge between many peoples and decide disputes among nations far away and they shall beat their sheer, swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken for all the peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of of the Lord our God forever and ever. Their desire 
is to know God. And the result of their desire to know God is not merely that they know God, but that they are changed by him, that God works in their lives to build a kingdom around them built by God. They're in harmony with God and with each other. So what's the choice? Well, here's the choice. Stark, this is the, this is the application part because I am way over time and I apologize for that. The choice hasn't changed from the time of Israel to the time of now. The question is going to be a simple one. Do we follow what the world tells us? Namely, to follow your own heart and to get yourself, I don't know, benefited that way? Or do we repent? And I'm going to say the word repent there, but even though we usually misuse the term, because repentance doesn't mean what most people think repentance means. Most people think repentance means, well, straightening up and flying right. Fixing your actions so that you make sure that you are doing all the right stuff. Living a surface level holiness. And that's true as an effect of repentance. You see, if you actually have repented, you are going to want to do that. You are going to talk to God and ask God, how am I to live? And you will do it because you love God. But repentance is that moment when you say, I don't want to follow my own heart anymore. I want to follow you. And you say that to God. Repentance is primarily a change of heart. You see, the, this is the problem with corruption. Corruption helps us to follow and create hearts that are opposed to God. And God has given us the blessing of Jesus Christ, purchased on a cross our redemption. He grants us the Holy Spirit to change us so that we might have hearts that seek after him, that follow him, that love him. You see, repentance is loving God and his word more than our own opinions. It's desiring to love him, to reflect him in the world around us over making people understand that I'm a smart dude and I've got really nice opinions. And because I'm not really that smart and my opinions are kind of nuts sometimes. So just listen to God, not me. The Apostle John puts the decision well. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 2, 3. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. <laughs> if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. 
And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. See, there's an opposite to corruption, and that's redemption. And God is working that. So brothers and sisters, let's pray. Pray that God will show us his glory, his goodness, his mercy, that we would love him above all else. Because ultimately speaking, if we want to be godly people, we need to seek him. And as we see him as lovely, we will turn to him. And as we turn to him, we will turn away from corruption and for the, because of the useless delusion that corruption is. Would you not be corrupt? Seek Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that that was accurate. I pray that where it was accurate, I pray that you would be moving in people's hearts to convict of, of your accuracy. Lord God, I pray that we as your, your children would come to love you above all else and to seek you more than we seek our own opinions and our own ideas, more than we seek money or fame or power. May we desire you. This we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.